Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 261. Be excellent. Strive for excellence and everything will take care of itself. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Award-winning author and designer, Dwight Knowlton, has done it again. His book, The Greatest Race, is now available. The Greatest Race is the story of Sir Sterling Moss's epic and record-crushing win of the 1955 Mille Miglia in the Mercedes-Benz 300 SLR. In collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss himself, Dwight has created a wonderful children's book from this epic race as a follow-up to his best-selling book, The Little Red Racing Car. I have my own copy of The Greatest Race, and I can tell you, this kid's impressed. Like his previous book, this one is printed in the USA. Check out Dwight's Carpe Viem brand, where you can find both of his books, shirts, and more that embrace his seize the road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Viem at carpegear.com, and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're at his website. That's carpegear.com, C-A-R-P-E gear.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's special guest, Eddie Alterman. Eddie, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am, Mark. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Eddie Alterman is the editor-in-chief at Car and Driver magazine, the largest monthly automotive title in the country. He took over the wheel in 2009 and has overseen a lauded redesign and bolstering of the brand's digital and social media efforts. In 2013, Eddie was named to Complex Magazine's list of the 50 most influential people in the auto industry. Eddie's currently based out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Eddie, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your career and your passion for automobiles? Well, I've always worked in this field. I've always loved words and I've always loved cars. I started when I was a sophomore at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And luckily for me, there were two national magazines in Ann Arbor, Michigan, courtesy of David E. Davis, Jr. He moved Car and Driver here in 1978 from New York, and he started Automobile in the fall of 1985 after he had left Car and Driver. So part of my decision to go to the University of Michigan was that there were car magazines there, and I wanted to work at car magazines. <laughs> Very That's cool. really all I really ever wanted to do. I'd, I'd been reading them since I was a kid. I thought that car magazines were hanging it out on the edge way more than any other kind of magazine. And I loved cars, and I loved that the lifestyle that these guys got to live was brought to me every month in my mailbox. And I really felt like, you know, for all the the press and the hype that guys like Tom Wolfe and, and George Plimpton got for being these first-person journalists who went out and did crazy things, I felt like the, the car magazine guys were doing that uh, before anybody. Mm-hmm. Guys like Brock Yates and David E. Davis Jr. and, and Setright and, and you know Pat Bedard, who was famously uh, crashed at the Indy 500, but, I mean, he was driving in the Indy 500. <laughs> yeah, jeez. You know? So, I mean... To me, it was kind of a, an adventure every month between those two covers, and I just wanted to be a part of it, and I got to. You know, when I was a sophomore in college, I started working at Automobile Magazine and uh, met Davis shortly thereafter. Nice. And 
that's kind of how it started for me, which is great. I started out really at the bottom, sort of the mail room, as it's known, mm-hmm. kind of generally, washing and gassing cars, which to me was like the greatest job ever <laughs> because I got to drive I got to drive everything from, you know, 964 Porsches to Bentley Continentals. And I mean, everything was just, you know, at my fingertips and yeah. I got to drive it around town and, you know, deliver cars across country and do really fun things that a college-age kid probably shouldn't have been trusted with. <laughs> I was just hooked. First, I was hooked reading about it, but then when I kind of got into the actual business, I was just fascinated by how it all worked, not just the washing and gassing and delivery of cars, but how the magazine itself came together, how it was funded, all the talented people who worked on both sides of the business. I mean, it was just, you know, media is the most exciting business in the world, I think. And if you're covering cars and you're covering this really dynamic, amazing, interesting business and, and, you know, as they call it, the industry of industries where everything comes together, you can't lose. There's so much to entertain yourself with. I love your story in so many ways, but the best part is what Cars Yeah is all about, and that is people who've wrapped their passion for cars into their vocations. And for someone like you who knew at a young age, it seemed like exactly what you wanted to do in many respects, you're a very fortunate guy. Absolutely. You have no idea how, how lucky I feel to be here. You know, I've felt lucky my entire career, but to sit at this desk, car and driver, I mean, it's, uh, it's just a very rare thing, especially in this day and age when media is so tumultuous and so challenged. But to be here guiding this amazing brand, I mean, it's, it's really a dream come true, and I, and I don't forget how lucky I am. And I also feel like uh, whoever gets to sit in this chair is, uh, you know, fortunate indeed. <laughs> Absolutely. The driver's seat at Car and Driver, oh my gosh. One of those iconic titles that seems to me has been around forever and ever and ever. I love it. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. It's something that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. You're a journalist at heart, so words are important to you. And this is a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Eddie, take the wheel. Well, it's something my dad really ingrained in, in my brother and I. And, and he always said... Be excellent. Strive for excellence, and everything will take care of itself. And in my career, I feel like I've never chased money. I've never chased titles. I've never chased anything except excellence and trying to do the best possible story with the best possible photography and put it in the best possible magazine possible. (laughs) There's a lot of possibles, but... (laughs) To me, it's always been about the work. It's always been about the product, and everything else really has taken care of itself. And uh, so I'm incredibly grateful to my dad for instilling that in me. Absolutely, and it has a touch of that uh, Sir Henry Rolls-Royce quote about striving for perfection as well. If it doesn't exist, find it and make it. So uh, it's a wonderful way to go through your life and your business career. Would you share a story with us that, instigated your passion for cars. Tell us as you can remember that pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you were a car guy. This was kind of a pivotal moment, but I grew up in a street in Detroit, well, three miles north of Detroit in a little town called Huntington Woods, where everybody, you know, everybody in Detroit really works for the car business. Even Mm -hmm. if you own a bar or a barbershop or my dad was a furniture wholesaler, you still work for the car business because all your customers you know, work for the car business, and that's the the kind of root of the economy. Mm -hmm. And so on my street, everybody had their 
General Motors vehicle that they drove every day or their Ford or their Chrysler that they drove every day. But on the weekends, the garages opened up, and there'd be Fiat Spiders, Porsche 912s, E-Type Jags, <laughs> on cars that everybody who kind of grew up in and around cars had a passion for, MG, TCs, TDs, TFs. There were really cool cars on my block. Cool. And yeah. when I was a kid, I would just kind of walk up and down the block and see who was working on their car or driving their car or firing it up on the weekend. And so that's that was one of those kind of uh, environmental immersions that I had with the automobile. But what I think cemented it and made me understand that the car is a sort of avatar for your personality. It's also sort of like an amazing piece of industrial design. It's also a representation of freedom and progress and all those things. was when my uncle showed up. Uh, he was always a Mercedes driver, and he always drove Mercedes diesels. And I always thought, oh, my God, these cars are so slow and they smoke. and <laughs> Nothing interesting about them, right? He showed up with uh, 300E, 1986 300E, anthracite gray. It was the 124. Mm. And the 124 was the car that... Throughout the 70s and 80s, when all the car manufacturers were trying to get maximum efficiency out of their cars, and they had so many problems getting the cars to actually feel like cars again, to yes. actually be mm -hmm. fun, to actually look good, to sound good, to handle. The 124 was the, the car with all the, the low rolling resistance, low friction stuff, but it actually looked like a spaceship. It was <laughs> yes. super cool looking. And I, I just have a vision of that car parked in my parents' driveway and just being blown away by that thing. In college, I bought the car from him, mm -hmm. paid $12,000 for it. Cool. And it was the greatest car ever. I, I still miss that thing. And I'm still kind of chasing that high, you know? Yeah, those were awesome cars. I love them as well. And back when they came out, I would love to have had one but they were too expensive for me but uh, there was something about those that just they they were so different yeah they were i mean they were really kind of like citroen ds's they were so ahead of their time and everybody sort of caught up to them you know they were aerodynamic they had those high rear decks they had very light doors and light light trunk lid alloy trunk lid mm -hmm. and just everything was optimized it was like mercedes had sort of cracked the code and that ignited, I think, a, a wave of tremendous amount of progress and innovation in the German car industry, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, exactly. And, from, th and then came the 500E. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. The four-door Porsche. And I remember being at Automobile Magazine when that car came out. Oh, cool. I don't know if, if you remember this uh this cover line, but we got in a lot of trouble for it. We call it. We said it was like a drug, and uh, <laughs> you know, school librarians across the country said we can't have that in our library. We got to take that. Yeah. But I mean, that car was intoxicating, and especially going from that 124 that I had, that was pretty slow. I mean, it was 177 horsepower, <laughs> going to that Porsche built, you know, monster of a car with those big flared yeah. fenders, and just the thing was a beast, and you would just look for hole shots on the freeway it was it was <laughs> magnificent it really and, was i was very fortunate to visit the first time i visited the porsche factory down in this kind of basement is where they were building those they'd bring the bodies over and put the engines in and we got to peek in the window and can we go in there no no that's not part of the tour don't look in there look <laughs> right. away look away 
<laughs> yeah, it was great fun. Eddie, what I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood and ask you to share a huge challenge or even better, a great failure that you faced along the way. But the most important part of this question has to do with how did you overcome that situation? And even better, what did you learn from it? Well, I was at Automobile Magazine for 13 years in total. Wow. And I had kind of felt like I had done all the jobs there. You know, I, I was a senior editor, I think, in 2004 when this opportunity came up to start a magazine with uh, a company called American Media. And um, I had felt that for a while the car magazines in America were very sort of ossified and they were formulaic and, you know, there are great magazines in Europe like Top Gear and Evo and car they were just doing it better and they were more exciting and they brought the excitement of the car to the page and i said i want to do that even as as fun as automobile was i felt like there was something missing and this was kind of the age of the lad magazine like maxim and fhm i mm-hmm. said you know there's got to be a car magazine for younger guys and this was pre-internet mm-hmm. so we started this magazine called MPH with uh, American Media in 2004. It was just a, a great, great adventure, you know. Five guys putting out this magazine. We had to do everything, and we started it from scratch. And starting a whole business from scratch yeah, just you know, opened my eyes to yeah. how much wet sand you actually have to shovel. <laughs> There's a good way to much, put it. <laughs> how much work there was and, and how much how important it was for everything to be exactly right and to be on brand because you're creating this new brand so every piece of messaging, everything that comes out of that office had to be brand appropriate and and consistent with what your vision was. So getting that vision right was really, really important. And that helped me, I think, when I got to Car and Driver in a huge way. Now, MPH only lasted about 18 months and it was a spectacular failure and it melted down, but it taught me all of those great things about how you build a brand and how you drive all of your output through an idea, how, how everything has to be led by an idea. And the idea is the most important thing, and that's what you strive to hit. And it really helped when I got to Car and Driver. And listen, after MPH melted down, I thought, I'll never work in this business again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I thought, oh, this is it for me. You know, I topped out, and that's it. So I, I worked freelance for a while. And the thing that I learned about working freelance was, you know, when you're in a job, your bosses, your corporate structure, they have to make money off you. But when you work for yourself, you get to keep all that money. So that was nice. And, you know, I, I felt like, well, I'll never make what I was making at, at MPH, you know, and I felt like there was just nothing left for me. But then I started doing freelance stuff, and I was like, oh, this is pretty great. Uh, you know, it's it, the work is highly varied, very fun. I get to travel again. It was great. But then the uh, opportunity came up, or not, I shouldn't say the opportunity. I had heard that Chuba Chetta, who had uh, edited Car and Driver for 16 years, I think, was just sort of done. And, you know, he, uh, he uh, told me, because, you know, we've, We'd travel together on press trips and things like that, and he's just a great conversationalist, a hugely fascinating guy. Went to MIT. He said, my BS tank was full. (laughs) Okay, so this was like in 2008, 2009, when the Internet was starting to to gather steam and more people had access to high-speed data, and 
it was becoming another legitimate platform. And I think that that transition was just like, he didn't want to solve that problem. You know, and I, I can totally understand that. But um, the opportunity came up, uh, and again, I'm using that word opportunity, but it was not, it wasn't offered to me. I said, I got to throw my hat in the ring for this thing. I, I have to, you know, at least see if I, if I can get an interview. And, uh, you know, I figured I'd had the experience starting a magazine, running a magazine, starting a website, understanding that. And so that's kind of how I pitched myself. I said, you know, I, I've done this before. I understand, you know, a multi-platform strategy. So give me a shot. And so I was cheap enough, and they hired me. But, I mean, these are huge shoes to fill. I mean, my predecessor is a brilliant engineer, and I was just a, you know, I was just a communicator, just a magazine guy, and, you know, increasingly a, a web guy. So, you know, I thought I'll give it a shot, and if I last, you know, six months, that'll be a fun six months. But it's been six years already, and the business has turned around in a great way. Cirque is healthy. Print is incredibly healthy, despite everybody's prognostications about the death of it. And, you know, when I came in in 2009, it was really the, the nadir of both publishing and automotive advertising. This was when 40% had fallen out of the car market. This was after the big Lehman event, and everybody was scared to go out of their house. And car sales went down to $10 million a year from $17 million, and nobody was buying car magazines and everybody thought print was dead. And so it was a chance for us to go and say, okay, here's, here's a unique moment in time where we can rebuild the business, where we were actually forced to rebuild the business. We're forced to look at everything anew. And the first thing I did when I got here was talk to everybody and say, what are the first principles of this brand? What has Car and Driver been that's made it so successful. And I don't want to I don't want to hear oh it's a magazine. That's not that's how it expresses the brand. What are the first principles? What what does it really mean to readers and to users online? And we got to these ideas that, you know, current driver is always very useful. Current driver is always very honest. It was always very fun. And so we took those, those principles and those concepts and we said, if we're going to apply that to print, how does that look? If we're going to apply those principles to digital, how is that going to look? And we came up with this kind of content strategy where, and, and I felt like we were kind of ahead of the curve on this because we were, we were so pressured to reinvent the business. I felt like we came up with a content strategy that, that sort of led how magazines went to market across platforms, which is match the content to the medium. And so, you know, being useful, honest, and fun in print means harder-hitting narrative stories, better photography, more road tests, also more tabular data. You know, you don't want to look at a huge list of running times and, and uh, lap times and 0 to 60 times and all, all this tabular stuff online. It's just very hard to, to look at and to grasp. But in print, it's a perfect venue for it. So you look at something like our Lightning Lamp franchise that we do every year, it's full of charts and tables and data, and people just hang on those pages forever. And it's just, you know, that's using print 
as it was designed and, and for what it's best for. So online, what is our strategy there to get those first principles across? And, you know, car and driver used to be before the Internet. It was almost like, and this is going to sound weird, but it was almost like a bridal magazine in the sense that when people were in market for a car, they would visit the newsstand and say, oh, okay, I'm interested in, uh, you know, the new Accord, so I want to read the preview. Then you wait a month or two for the road test for the first drive, and then you wait another couple months for the comparison test with the Camry and the Mazda and whatever, and then you'd make a decision. Well, online it just doesn't happen that way. There's all that time compression. You can get access to all the information you want. And we said, you know, being useful online means something very different than being useful in print. Being useful online means much more make model data, much more shopping data, met, you know, more tools, more pricing. So, you know, we started to adapt our business to that. And we and we also had some guidance there from people like Edmonds and Cars and KBB where, you know, they had kind of figured out that the money online is made around the shopping experience. So luckily the brand is big enough and it's got so much reach and such a great brand name. I think like 92% of Americans I know what car and driver is. I would think so. Yeah, so we were able to, you know, really stretch into that space and have it be just purely on editorial, be very, very relevant to our readers. So instead of being this, you know, magazine that was sort of withering with the, the downward pressure on advertising and all these headwinds in the media business, we were able to create a real multi-platform kind of offering that hits people at different times during the day with different pieces of information that we hope is very relevant to their enthusiasm and, and their excitement around vehicles. Many aha moments occurred yeah. during this process. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think you answered my next question. How about proudest moments in your career? I'm sure you've had many, you've received awards, but is there one in particular that's really important to you? You know, it's a lot of little moments. A lot of, um, you know, times when you get, when, when someone will stop you in an airport on the street and say, you know what, I lost faith in, in the magazine and now I love it again. Or, you know, you see a great story that the people you work with created. Like, for me, one of those stories was the uh, Tesla Model S against the Ford Model T. I just thought it was a great piece of automotive journalism that was going to go down in history as like one of those classic stories. When you see stuff like that, you just get inspired and it makes you want to work harder and do more stuff like that. And, uh, you know, for for me, all it all gets back to this notion of what we call audience first. And it's a little bit like that mantra that my my father gave me, which is, you know, you do the right things for the audience, and the advertising will take care of itself. Mm -hmm. And the newsstand sales will take care of themselves. And everything will kind of fall into place if you keep focused on, you know, really satisfying your reader. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special vehicle? And if you have a memory you could share about that car. Well, that 124 Benz was really, really special for me just because it was this continuity with my family and, you know, I, it was an opportunity to bring that car home and, and uh, I love driving that thing. But the first really special car that I bought with, with uh, a lot of my own money 
was a, uh, a Porsche, a 1959 Porsche 356 convertible D. Ooh, nice. <laughs> and so this was the this was the the speed they called the Roadster, but it was really the Speedster body, the Drowse body car with roll-up windows mm-hmm. and more of a, a substantial top than the Speedster. A little higher windshield One, too. Little higher windshield, exactly. So it had these kind of corduroy ribs on the inside of the top, and uh, it was just a very very cool car. And you know when I got it in it for the first time. I saw that the key was to the right of the steering wheel, and I said, "Wait, is this a is this a kit car?" <laughs> and it was explained to me that no, Speedsters and the D's, the Drowse-bodied cars, didn't have the Lamas start to the left of the the ignition to the left of the wheel; they had it to the right. So mm-hmm. I said, "Oh, okay, okay." Great moment with that car was uh, <laughs> when I was just kind of on a neighborhood drive, and uh, I just felt the 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 throttle pedal go flat to the floor. I said, "Oh no." Okay, well, my throttle linkage is busted. Well, this is basically a VW Beetle. How hard can it be to fix this? I'll just crawl under it and uh, have a look. And I just saw like a bracelet of linkages on the ground. There was like 17 pieces. Oh, no. I'm like, I'm never going to fix this thing. And so that started me on my, on my journey to get rid of it. You know, I was like, oh, man. Oh, <laughs> you know, gosh. You know, I, that, that old saying of young men and old cars don't mix, <laughs> I, I, I had sort of experienced it firsthand. And I sold that car way too prematurely because, and I have a knack for doing this too. I have a, an ability to buy a car when, when nobody cares about it and then sell it still while nobody cares about it <laughs> and then watch the value just skyrocket. Well, that was my next question with seller's remorse. Is, is that the car that you really wish you could have oh. back? I really do. It, it was a sweet, sweet car. It was yeah. red with the black top and a you know, beautiful black interior and numbers matching. And I'd put Weber carbs on it. And it was it was just really, really great. And had a little cam advance, and the thing was just sweet. And you know, compared with the English sports cars of that era, the late fifties, mm-hmm. the Porsche was so much more refined and so much more capable and so much more of a kind of everyday car and less punishing. I mean, you go over, uh, you know, railroad ties in an MGA, and you basically have to stop, push it across, and then <laughs> yeah. pick up the parts. Lose your fillings. When you, exactly. But the 356, you just roll over anything, you know? Yeah. It's just a little loop from the nice back. Nice cars. Oh, it's just great. It's wonderful. How about current projects? Is there something you guys are working on right now at Car and Driver that you're really excited about and fired up? You know, as honored as I feel to be at the helm of this this amazing, you know, and vital institution, one of the greatest parts about my tenure here is that I'm presiding over the 60th anniversary of the brand. Nice. So this is an opportunity for us to really kind of take in the entire sweep of the past 60 years of automotive progress and development and try to boil it down to kind of one issue. Uh, How and then, on earth are you going to do that? It was very difficult, but here's what we did. We said, okay, the theme is zero to 60, right? How do we get from there to here? And we took landmark cars from each decade and paired them with their modern equivalent to to use the cars and the pairings as sort of a lens from where we started to where we got. So in the 50s, we took one of my favorite cars, the the Gullwing, Mm -hmm. 
the mm. Mercedes 300 SL Going and paired it with the AMG GTS. And we did that in L.A. where we were able to talk about the import car culture and guys like Max Hoffman, who was so critical to the development and uh, marketing of the, the Going in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And then in the 60s, we wanted to talk about Detroit. So we could have a 427 mid-year Corvette with a new Z06 going up and down Woodward Avenue, drag racing mm. each other. Cool. In the 70s, uh, we took a 72-2002 TII and paired it with an M235i BMW. Talked mm. about what was happening in the car world in the 70s and, and what was happening with BMW and how kind of instrumental car and driver was in, in helping BMW get its footing here. And so we went through the decades with those cars and, and used them as like a, a prism to talk about the business, the culture, and everything that was happening both in the magazine and the car culture at that time. And I really feel like we got it all in there. So great. really, really proud of that. Really great moment for us. And, you know, online we're inviting people to share their stories with us and their videos about their favorite cars that they've owned from each decade. And, you know, we we did a great event in New York where we had – a bunch of old editors there from the history of the magazine talking about all the little behind-the-scenes stories, all these screw-ups that happened in the course of producing a magazine that <laughs> uh, you know you may not have heard. But uh, you know, it's just it was, it's just been very, very gratifying too, and and very humbling to be the person in charge right now. Yes, and uh, you know, you feel a great responsibility to do the brand justice. Well, congratulations, Car and Driver! Happy birthday! Thank you. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Eddie. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Okay, well, I talked about the, the <laughs> Porsche, the rear-engine Porsche, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a, a, a deep affinity with those cars because I, I don't think of myself as a linear thinker. I think of myself as a lateral thinker. And I think that the 911 and the 356, those cars were very lateral solutions to the problem. And Everybody talks about the engine being in the wrong place on that car. I I disagree. I think in terms of braking, acceleration, putting the power down, you want the weight over the driven wheels, right? Mm -hmm. And and that's why the the 911 handles and steers so well. It's because the physics of that car are are right. And it's it's a very unorthodox solution went against what uh, people were doing at the time, certainly, but it's lasted. And why is it lasted? Because there's something fundamentally right and smart about that idea. And so if I was a car, I'd like to be a 67 911S. Very, very nice. That's a car that is appreciated with age. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) People love them too. So you're a love guy, Eddie. Don't worry. (laughs) So Eddie, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's give a thanks to our Cars sponsor. No more worries about a dead battery. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium-ion technology that'll start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology and a reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle every time. It includes a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight and it easily recharges with USB outlet 
outlets so you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality, design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Okay, Eddie, we're back and we're entering the last lap, and this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions, and you give our listeners some real quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Yeah. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? It came from David E. Davis Jr. He said, there are no hip shots in this business. (laughs) I loved him. (laughs) Yeah, he was the best. Yes, yes, great. I love his book, too. I bought years ago. Could you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? Time management. Get it done before lunch. Yes. Yeah, so it's that saying, uh, swallow the frog. You know, take <laughs> That's that. Right. Take that first exactly. bet. Just get it over with. Get and move. Get in on. there early. Get it done. Yep. And, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and and have a good to do list. Exactly. Do you have a resource that you think the listeners would really enjoy? Uh, CarDriver.com. I think. <laughs> I kind of knew you were going to say that. <laughs> That's okay. You know those. Uh, Selfish plugs are perfect here for cars, yes. We're all about is promoting our guests. Is there a book? I know this is a tough one, but is there one book in particular you think the Cars Yeah listeners would enjoy reading today? You know, I just read uh, The Arsenal of Democracy by A.J. Bain. A.J.'s a good friend, full disclosure. Go Like Hell. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and Go Like Hell is fantastic. In the course of, of researching Go Like Hell, he uncovered all this great stuff about Edsel Ford. Uh, and World War II and the Willow Run plant. And Edsel is so kind of poorly remembered and, and maligned because of the car that bore his name yes. posthumously. But Edsel was one of the coolest guys in the car business. You know, he gave Lincoln its style. The speedster that he did with Bob Gregory is kind of the missing link between Grand Prix cars like Bugattis and Hot Rods. Mm-hmm. That, that Model 40 is just a Absolutely pivotal car in automotive history, and his taste was so good. But Henry hated him, because or grew to hate him, and humiliated him throughout his life because he felt like because Henry felt like Edsel had become like this rich kid who didn't share his kind of proletarian agrarian values. Mm -hmm. And Edsel, you know, he smoked, he drank, he loved Europe, he loved flight, he loved air power. And those two things, his love of flight, his love of Europe, allowed him to see, I think, the coming disaster in World War II when, when the U.S. was pretty isolationist yeah. and we had a tiny, uh, tiny military and we felt like our oceans would protect us. Edsel was a guy who said, you know what, we have to start building planes. Yeah. And he put the B-24 assembly line in at Willow Run, started cranking out by the end of the war, a plane a day. Yeah, incredible. Um, you know, it, it's an incredible, incredible story, and it, it redeems Edsel's place in history, tells a, a great story about the father-son relationship, and it's just, uh, it's just a magnificent piece of writing. Listeners, you can find links to all these great resources at carishia.com slash Eddie Alterman. All right, Eddie, we're up. Up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy for a car guy. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the cost because today I'm going to write the check, what would that one vehicle be and why? You know, as much as I love Porsches, I got to say, if it was just one car, money, no object, Mm -hmm. Ferrari 
250 short wheelbase. Ugh, yes. Well, oh. I, I can imagine why, but why that car? It's that small bore V12. It's not flashy like a GTO. It was Enzo's favorite. Sterling Moss drove one. To me, that was the essential Ferrari, mm-hmm. the essential road racing Ferrari. And that is just, to me, one of the coolest looking, coolest sounding, and probably coolest driving, although I've never driven one, <laughs> <laughs> uh, cars on the planet. Although I would say uh, 300 SL Goland is a close second. Yes. I got to drive one of those on the Millia two years ago. Oh. And Yes, not bad. Well, the the 250, yeah, fantastic car. And I will say I have had the luxury of driving one, and they are fantastic. So uh, great choice, my friend. Awesome choice. That's okay. You've deviated from the world of Porsche a little bit, but you've gone <laughs> into the right realm. So I think we're... Well, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be accused of being a fanboy. So. There you go. <laughs> Eddie, you have taken me on a great ride today. I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Ferrari? I don't know, man. It's just uh, all gets back to strive for excellence. Aim high. Be great. Pretty simple, pretty direct, but pretty perfect. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and Car and Driver magazine? Go to our website, carandriver.com, and then pick up Car and Driver on the newsstand. Absolutely. I've been a subscriber for ever, I think. Long, long time. A wonderful magazine. You're doing a great job at the home there. Listeners, you can find links to everything we've talked about today. Again, at carsyad.com. Just put Eddie in the search box. His show notes page will pop up with all those links. Eddie, thanks again for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with the Cars Yeah listeners and with me. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks so much, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.